survivors if you're listening to this that means you're still alive so you guys know me my name is Beto Gudino I'm broadcasting from a tiny home in Southern California today we're gonna have a super special guest Kent Carlson we are going to talk about the consumerism in the American church and what does that look like during the COVID-19 season. But I want to acknowledge that we've had visitors on our blog from many places around the world, from Rwanda, Nigeria, Ireland, countries as far as China, and we want to thank you for tuning in. We want to elevate your voices and would love to hear from you. If you want to visit our website, www christianpodcast.com to get to know me and today's interview is a little bit long so let's go right in here we go Everybody, you guys are listening, and I would like to introduce you to a very special friend and guest today. His name is Kent Carlson. He's up in Northern California, as far as I know, uh, and we like to hear from him. So, Kent, how are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm doing great. It's a beautiful, sunny, well, you know, you know California, even the south and the north today is just gorgeous, so... Sitting home in my pajamas. Nice. Go enjoy my so the half of you that I see is the presentable part. Okay. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Same here, man. Same here. <laughs> We're all in this together. Uh, Kent, would you tell us a little bit about um, maybe your background and your position right now with uh, your denomination and what that is, what your job is, just so people could know. Sure. I'm, uh, I uh, planted probably, I won't go back to my childhood or anything, but I planted Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California back in 1984. So I was there 32 years. Our, our church uh, was one of those big, you know, the church of what's happening now kind of, kind of churches, big seeker orientation grew very quickly in, uh, in our little pond. And um, we went through a major change there in the year 2000 where we uh, restructured the church around formation and mission. Uh, and that was, a, that was a tumultuous time, but we got through that. The church, uh, I left in uh, about 2016. I knew that I was not going to be the guy that was going to, um, or the individual person who would lead into the next uh, season of our church's uh, ministry. It was time for me to create some space. So I was going to do some kind of create my own gig working with pastors and churches who are seeking to rethink Christianity, rethink the church at the end of Christendom, and who are recognizing our increasing inability to uh, to to reach non-church people, all those kinds of things, uh, the 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 mass exodus of millennials and Gen Z from the church, and uh, so I was starting that process of if you want to call it consulting, but working, training, um, mentoring. And then our denomination that I've been a part of with uh, the church in Folsom is the North American Baptist Conference. And through a series of events, they asked me if I'd like to come on staff and create a new position. And the position is vice president of leadership formation. And so, uh, um, What I do essentially is work with pastors, uh, churches, Christian leaders, and help to re-envision the church at the end of Christendom. 
to reckon, to get a fuller understanding of what the gospel is, what the good news is, what the kingdom of God is, what is our actual message, what's a, what's the church to look like, and uh, trying to break out of old paradigms and and figure out how to be this unique alternative uh, community uh, in the world. And uh, so that's 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 what I do. I've been trying to carve out programs and work with existing programs to um, and training things to get at that stuff. Awesome. I love it. And I think it was, I mean, during this season of consulting and helping the church rethink and reimagine um, what it means to be missional, uh, when I met you, right, through the Ethos, uh, what is it, an Ethos program or Ethos? ethos. So um, I met you about two years ago, and it was it was under this conversation of what is the church going to look like, what things need to change, um, you know, what's happening in the, the big C church, and how we can help it, like, reorganize and, and have a different vision for the future. And I love it because, I mean, besides meeting you, um, you have this book. I have it in my hands. It's called The Renovation of the Church, where you kind of narrate a little bit of your experience uh, at Oak Hills Church, going from a seeker-friendly church to focusing on uh, spiritual formation. And I would love, I mean, you have here a, a, a little narration where you describe the the Disneyland or the Disney formula. And it's super interesting when you say, I mean, you're sitting with your creative arts pastor. Would you tell us a little bit, like, kind of like uh, help people um, have a picture or narrate that, that, um, uh, that little part where you are with your creative arts pastor and describe what the Disneyland formula is? You're assuming I remember that <laughs> portion of the book, uh, but the, I, uh, yeah, I do actually remember that 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 section, the seeker service that we had in those days, uh, was all oriented around uh, um, attracting uh, what is called "quote unquote" a seeker, and um, and we would bring them in the church, have them invite them in through various means, and they didn't have to say anything, sing anything, sign anything, give anything, and and we essentially put a production together. Uh, um, that they could watch. Uh, we had a very, uh, at that season of our life, uh, a reductionistic, um, truncated understanding of the gospel, and um, which essentially receive Jesus as your Savior and your sins will be forgiven to go to heaven when you die. And then perhaps we can then teach you how to actually be a follower of Christ after that. Problem is, is that when you, when you put church together like that, you're actually forming people by how we attract them and keep them and what what we do during our worship services, teach people about the nature of God, who God is. So when you have a spectator-oriented worship service, um, you, you are teaching people that the Christian life is uh, spectating and one in which you then evaluate how the service went and you join in the consumeristic uh, capitalism of churches competing for the loyalty and attendance of the church going public. But we were into it deeply. I was a uh, theater major for a while in college. So the whole performance thing, I mean, every week was kind of like a uh, theatrical performance with dance and drama and, uh, you know, hot music and sermon and various things. And uh, the uh, the Disney formula thing that you were referring to, that's the whole, um, and it was actually spoken about in those circles. It was the make them laugh, make them cry kind of uh, experience. And we had a whole team of people that worked all week full time and putting the service together. And the one who was in charge of that, um, our creative arts pastor, we had just finished uh, a service that had some of all the elements into it is really cool dance drama was pretty really good uh, the music was great and after the service people were lining up wanting to talk to me about jesus and so god was working there but after after four services we sat down the i remember sitting down in the chair in the front row with him and he collapsed next to me because he had been elbow deep in all the things that it took to make that service come together, all the rehearsals, the writing, the 
uh, all, all that. And uh, we, we had gotten quite good at it. And uh, he sat down next to me and he, he was being very facetious. Um, but he let his guard down and he goes, we don't even need God to do this. <laughs> and, um, and there's, uh, the interesting thing is there's probably some truth to that. Um, once you know what levers to pull, what knobs to spin, you can create an experience that whether there's a God or not, people can be, um, impacted by it. We joked and laughed because we know without Christ we can do nothing, and we knew we didn't mean that. But the the, the phrase stuck with me, the thought stuck with me, because I realized there was a severe element of truth in it. Wow. Yes, that's what I was reading, and um, it impacted me because in the season that we're in, you know, with COVID-19, unexpected, a lot of churches, of course, started doing online anything right i mean online preaching online gatherings and it's so interesting to me because like you said you were a major in uh in theater well i'm a major in communications and video production so i happen to thrive in this covid 19 season it's like wow i'm actually putting together the services they're looking amazing because i'm a camera guy Right, I'm an, I, I like the angles, I go out, I you know, picture the palm trees, the sun. And in a sense, it's almost like, I'm, I mean, I'm doing what I love, but I notice that we are kind of doing the same. We're putting a production of good content and good quality out there, but now people don't need to come and sit down and watch it in front of them, right? Now they sit wherever they're at, and they watch it on their phones or their computers. But it's almost like a very similar experience. Um, and what is the next step? Because we don't want to get we don't want to get stuck in same formula, just attract people and now we have an audience who is watching. How do we move on from that to spiritual formation, to connecting with them on a, on a deep deeper level? Well, I think, um, and you're right. I mean, I, I've uh, obviously churches had to figure out what to do, and some kind of online presence is 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 important. And and so many have done so much work, and uh, I've seen such extraordinary, you know, quote unquote productions, and um, many people seem to enjoy them. Um, but the danger is that we take the worst, the very worst of evangelical worship, which is its spectatorship, and put it on steroids by sticking it in a production online where people can, uh, you know, watch it while they're drinking their oatmeal shake in the morning. And, and so I think, the, <laughs> the, I think the, um, so we have to, we have to figure out what that means, how to, you know, how to, uh, do that. I, I, th I think what's important for all Christian leaders, pastors to remember is that spiritual formation is not an option. Everyone is being spiritually formed. Uh, the question is whether it would be purposeful and intentional. One can't live your life without being spiritually formed for the good or for the bad. Mm -hmm. What is our character uh, being formed in? Who is, who is the person I am actually becoming? Am I a person who forgives easily or am I a person who is very defensive? Does, do my insecurities, does my shame tend to rise up within me so that I have a number eight reaction to a number two infraction. And uh, I think it's justified that that six differential, that's my jump. And so how do I pay attention to that? Well, how we put together our churches, our worship services, our programming, all these things are formative. They, they, they form people. Uh, the structures of our services, the structures of our church organization uh, are formative. And they, they are much stronger than the words that we actually say. Um, and so we, when we create spectators, when we, when we give in to consumer demand so that they'll keep going to our church and, and not another church, that's the, that's the tricky thing. Uh, 60%. And if you start talking to millennials or Gen Z, um, it can go to 70 and 80% of the non-church population will never go to our churches again. They, they, they just won't. That's a, uh, uh, Look who's here. 
My man, <laughs> Mr. Decker, how you I doing? Don't see your mouth you guys, <laughs> you guys live together or what? <laughs> no, he came to. We're in the. I told you we're in the process of doing church online, so he came up to pick up the, the cards for the camera. My shout outs. Oh, nice. Very good. <laughs> we're doing this online, so, um, he's working from his house with the camera. But he happened to leave the the memory cards here, so he had to drive here and get them. So we're not social distancing, as you could see. No, apparently not. <laughs> that's okay. You're, you're probably safe. He's the one that's in trouble. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, man, that's so cool what you're telling me. I was reading in the, one of the late, latest chapters in the book where you kind of talk about the vision for the future and where things are going. And I mean, this book is, uh, you wrote it quite a few years ago. So it'd be interesting to see if that vision, you know, came to, to happen or not, or where you're at in, in those steps. But you were saying this phrase that I really loved, distancing ourselves from personal ambition. Could you uh, just elaborate a little bit on that idea? Sure. I, I think, and this is, uh, this is part of the problem that's come up with the online experiences during the, the, the COVID-19 uh, quarantine. Um, it, I've seen a resurgence uh, of competition, and all cloaked in nice words because we're nice people. We, we, we say the right things all Christianly and everything. Um, but people are talking more than ever about how many, how many views, how many people, they're, 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 weekend services doubling uh, and they're they're never gonna they're always gonna have this because of the impact and I mean and what they're not saying honestly is people stroll in for 15 seconds you know a couple minutes and they're eating their eggs and um, they're you know <laughs> doing all sorts of things and taking their phone into the bathroom and and uh, they um, you know they're not really attending the church they're just having this opportunity to check out a whole mess of uh, different churches. And that's not everybody, of course. So I've seen some, and uh, and our church has been involved in just really brilliant, beautiful online experiences where there's a lot of interaction in real time, and you know that that's 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 pretty cool. But there is a the fatal flaw in how uh, the entrepreneurial kind of concept of the church in the United States is is that you take the ambition of the pastor leadership. And then you join it together with the uh, consumeristic uh, training of all the, all of us as as Americans, and you have this uh, symbiotic relationship where uh, the pastor will give people what they desire of happening church service, cool music, good good speaking, all the kind of bells and whistles that go along with that a great experience, and people will reward that by their attendance, by their giving, their unless the the church stops doing as good a job and they'll try another one that does an even better job. And that you can't build disciples of Jesus Christ in that environment. It just won't happen. I know one church that put out a postcard in our area that says we have over 50 ministries to meet your particular lifestyle needs. And, and I'm going, I could just see Jesus in the sermon on the Mount, you know, saying something uh, like, like that. Um, and the, and, and so what we have to, we can't really do much about the consumerism in our, in our, uh, in the culture. It's just, this, it's like, it's like uh, talking to fish about water. It's, it's just all pervasive. It's, we've been trained to be de demanding consumers just by living in this environment. Um, but we can do something about the ambition. Um, the, the, the scripture is clear about issues of selfish ambition throughout history uh, people who wrote on these things spoke often about selfish ambition. Um, the but it is one of those pastoral or leadership sins that's just really not talked about honestly uh, about how much it actually drives us. I, I I find pastors much more able and willing to talk about sexual lust uh, with wow. authenticity than they are about the actual ambition, the kind of low grade temperature of thinking someone else's ministry is doing better than, than theirs, the kind of insecurity when um, 
an inability to celebrate the successes of, of, of others, the kind of gnawing shame that I'm not doing a good enough job uh, because people are now, particularly people are checking out other services online and they say, well, you know, this guy's a lot better preacher than you are, Pastor. And that kind of, that kind of stuff is there. And we need to very, uh, very intentionally get down into the details of that conversation with people we can be actually honest about and realize there's very little spiritual growth that happens uh, when we are giving ourselves over to that kind of ambition. Wow. Incredible. Uh, you also talk about a little bit of the the relationship or maybe inspiration or there's some somewhat of a connection you guys had with Willow Creek. Uh -huh. And and then you make the point like you want to make the point that, hey, we're not against Willow Creek. You know, there's actually good stuff that we learned. But I'm wondering, um, you know, 20 years later, just starting in 2000, 20 years later, What does that look like? What is that inspiration coming from Willow Creek look like? Um, do you still value maybe the things that you know, mega churches did or are doing to inspire people, or are you like completely broken away from you know from like the mega church tendency? Or I, I'm just curious to know what's the relationship nowadays in your mind, at least with with kind of like the mega church experience. Well, God's in the megachurch, uh, and some of the finest leaders on planet Earth are pastors of uh, megachurches. So I would be very hesitant to want to get into the hidden and sometimes not so hidden motives of any kind of pastor. I, I don't think, I don't see ambition more fully raising its head in the pastors of megachurches. Uh, like more so than pastors of, of small churches. Uh, small church pastors sometimes just wish they were better and they feel this constant, uh, like I said, low-grade temperature of inadequacy. Uh, but that comes from ambition as well, uh, not a sense of acknowledgement of who I actually am, uh, my identity, uh, my, my life is hid with Christ and God. And so there's not, I don't have, I don't live with this not enoughness. I live with this completeness, with the sense that in Christ I am complete. The, um, for the large church pastors, they, I think they simply have to wrestle with the idea that the way a large church is structured, the kind of things it takes to keep that, that machine running um, inherently has a very strong consumeristic bend to, bend to it. And once you uh, create a structure that needs that many people coming, uh, it's very hard sometimes to be the prophetic voice that you need to be uh, because some people will leave um, and they won't, they won't like that. And so um, theoretically, uh, I think the larger the church, uh, the better if we stay true to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What I know we can't do is cater to consumer needs. Uh, just just be purveyors of religious goods and do a better job than the than the church down the street. Christianity, the Christian life, life of discipleship at its at its core has to be how do I do really well when I don't get what I want? Um, but uh, there is, and if I can be a little aggressive or assertive or maybe even harsh here, there is in uh, American. Uh, Christianity, particularly our, our white evangelical expression of it, a kind of a syncretism, uh, very similar to the syncretism you have with the Catholic Church and uh, um, indigenous religions throughout uh, South America and, and Central America. The syncretism in the United States is a syncretism with uh, Enlightenment individualism, Uh, with uh, uh, sometimes white nationalism, with America, American exceptionalism. And so our understanding of Christianity is blend very tightly with success, keeping our way of life, uh, the, the ability to, um, to uh, wrap the, the, the flag around our Christian teachings is, is scary in, in, in my mind. Christianity at its core is a invitation to a different way of living. And there are aspects of all nations, cultures that uh, are not oriented around that. We have to be oriented around the poor, the, the marginalized, uh, those who are most vulnerable. Um, 
and the, the scriptures just really clear about that. True that, man. I I would almost summarize what you're saying with your own quote from your book. That and maybe I'll refresh you because I'm sure you know maybe you didn't have it at the top of your mind. But it's you said I find myself continually torn between my dual roles as an institutional guy and a radical prophet. Right? Yeah, and, that's that's true. I yeah, particularly even now in my denominational responsibilities, we you know talk about a machine that needs to be kept kept going and they have such beautiful history so many godly wonderful people down through the, the years um but that kind of button down where your dockers have a nice little car to drive in where really i want to meet late at night in a french cafe with cigarettes and berets and plot the overthrow and there there is there is a little bit of of, of that a lot a large part of it Uh, has to do with how much trouble do we think the church is in? Because uh, nobody nobody looks for a doctor if they don't think the patient is sick, or if they think the, you know just some just some ibuprofen and some orange juice will 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 be fine. But when the patient is sick, and perhaps if the sickness is terminal, then people start getting desperate. Um, mm. I think one of the benefits we have now culturally is that people are realizing. The Christianity is no longer at, at the cultural and political and uh, social center of society. And uh, some people are afraid of that. And mm -hmm. so they're trying to grab for power and try to legislatively or by who we elect to make sure that we stay in power and no one takes our way of life away. Um, uh, other people, though, are, are open to the fact, well, maybe Christianity... Uh, doesn't need to be in the center of power. In fact, when it is in the center of power, it tends to not do so well. Christianity was born on the margins of society and did a thrilling job of representing the reality of Christ in, in their day. Uh, also, the other external thing, as I mentioned earlier, is that, and everybody knows this, uh, millennials and Gen Z are leaving the church in droves, and they're not coming back. Uh, they don't want to take over daddy's business. And um, wow. and so they, uh, we have to figure out ways to uh, empower, elevate the voices of millennials, Generation Z, and there, and let them lead us into the future because we don't know how to do it. And uh, it's a little pathetic when guys like me start putting on skinny jeans and you know and doing whatever we need to do to try to attract a crowd. It's not it's not only pathetic, it's fairly unattractive. <laughs> I would like to see that, man. I'd pay to see that. No. no. Uh, that's funny. I was listening to another pod I listen to so many podcasts nowadays and maybe that's you no know, maybe that's a tool to um, no to reach out to millennials and millennials. But I was listening to this podcast called Doctrine and Devotion. And I think it's actually, it's like a couple guys, but I think they belong, I could be wrong, but I think they belong to like the Southern Baptist Convention. And in one of the episodes, they're actually talking about what is kind of like, what is wrong and what is good with their denomination? What would you change? So one of the guys asks the other guy, okay, what, what needs to change? And he's like, well, first, the name and the logo. <laughs> 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 and, and I was I was actually listening I'm like he's totally right because I mean in my mind I, I mean I could be uh, whatever but when I hear Southern Baptist Convention just something about the name when I came to America I was like Southern Baptist I mean sounds so sounds like a huge name so almost like political And I, I mean, I like it, right? And North American Baptist, it's North American Baptist, right? It's almost like political too, but it's North I, American, but uh, Mexico isn't invited into it. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> We don't have enough Christians that um, can categorize as that. But I was actually what, like, man, a good logo in a different name maybe that's a way to rebrand the whole denomination and i mean that's kind of like a silly thought but this is where i wanted to go with the the denomination uh, thought 
because I was reading this other book and I was mentioning it to you before uh, coming on the call by Leonard Sweet. It's called Rings of Fire. In the middle of the book, he sings the song <laughs> by Johnny Cash. Um, but he he's talking about the rise of the nation state and denominations at about the same period in the 1700s or actually in uh yeah 1700s or so so he says this it says it's no accident that the mediating structures known as nation states and denominations are coming apart at the seams and at the center and it was probably no accident that they both appear in the same decade in the 17th century so then he lays out this question and i think you know maybe it'd be interesting to hear from you what your answer would be to this question in terms of um coming from a denomination right uh, in what ways as unbounded commitment to the preservation of these entities ignore or deny its undoing yeah well, there's no question the uh, the, uh, uh nation states if you, you go back often also had a religious um you know uh, flavor to it in other words if you uh, uh when you get baptized you become a citizen of the nation as it were mm -hmm. it's like the 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 state and the church were were one with various expressions of christianity whether it's lutheranism or reformed or catholicism or presbyterianism they're they're wed with the with with the state Uh, and that works well. I don't think it ever worked well because it consolidated power and people used uh, uh, force, sometimes even military force, to evangelize, which is, I mean, this is the whole, this is the whole story, as you know, of colonialism in, in South America and Central America. Um, and this is, this is the inherent problem with uh, nation states, with uh, church states or state churches. Um, you have a tendency to uh, try to advance the cause simply by the political and sometimes mil uh, military power that, that, that you have. And, and so it's not real. The, the, the expression of the Christian faith, this doesn't mean God's not in it and working, but the organic, um, beautiful experience of Christianity can never thrive in a, uh, in an, uh, a controlling Uh, power over environment. Denominations, um, oftentimes, they they began with particular um, uh, theological emphases or in, in opposition to other people's theological emphases. Uh, it began sometimes uh, with eth ethnic background. You have the, um, the Baptist General Conference, which used to be the Swedish Baptists. So they, re they re uh, named themselves the... Um, Baptist General Conference, and now again, in your little suggestion of change the logo and the name, they change their name now to Converge. Nice. Uh, which is, I mean, all these churches and groups are are using verbs to describe themselves now. So maybe it's a good thing, but obviously nothing substantive comes when changing a logo or, or or the name. It's a it's a it's a stylistic thing. The the real change has to become with our understanding of our self identity, why we exist. Uh, our my own denomination used to be the German Baptists, and there's hardly any Germans and you know <laughs> left anymore not, uh, although there, there, there are some but they changed the North American Baptist which I agree it's an incredibly boring and rather inaccurate uh, title for who we are um, the 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 uh, but I'll just say this I think in most denominations there's a real crisis of not even knowing why we exist mm. uh, we Uh, sometimes we exist because at the in the beginning stages take our denomination it, it reason for existed because they wanted to reach German immigrants uh, with the gospel and they did actually an extraordinary job and then for a period of time they they were a missionary sending organization that uh, as missionaries and mission work all, all over the world but for quite some time uh, decades and decades Uh, it's been trying to figure out why we exist. Why do we gather people together? We did so sometimes just because relationships. So-and-so went to school with so-and-so and they got married and they had kids and they went to the same school. So you have this kind of family thing. Obviously, um, nobody in my church knows that story or has feels any loyalty or familial kind of uh, connection uh, to it. So why do we join together? 
Um, so I think the nominations as, as a whole are trying to answer the question, who are we? Why do we exist? Where are we going? And who can we, uh, do we actually need to exist? Uh, and um, how do we join together? Uh, who do we need to help take us there? Um, in our particular denomination, uh, there has been a, uh, a rallying around the phrase uh, missional formational movement. In other words, recognizing from a theological perspective that the church always has this, this missional out there uh, motivation. We don't exist to have services on Sunday morning. The um, Sunday morning service is not the, the destination, the, the be-all and end-all. It is a way to get together, to tell the story again, to remember who we are, but then we're sent out. The formational aspect is we are not just sent out with people saying things. We are sent out as people who are being transformed into the image of Christ. And our life as individual persons, but even more importantly, as a community of faith, is beautiful. This is why it's so tragic now uh, when you see situations where Christians uh, just are looking mean, afraid, scared, uh, conspiracy theor uh, theories abounding, uh, and we, we simply aren't leading with an with a, a, uh, expression of, of love. And we add to the antagonism in our society by not being able to demonstrate that the presence of Christ is among us. And because that is true, I cannot speak unkindly of another person. I cannot... Um, call person names and uh, seek to overpower them by my will. This is contrary to the, to, to the way of Christ. And there will be no hearing given to us by the increasing percentage of non-church people unless the Christian faith results in a beautiful alternative way of living. Uh, and that, that is our job, whether we're a denomination or not. Awesome. And I mean, from what I'm reading and gathering, um, some of the, <clears throat> maybe, maybe I'm just going to use the word revival so people can understand, but some of the revival that's coming may not come from America, right? Maybe it's going to happen and come from China, just like this virus came from China, right? And, and it's interesting to, to see that um, nation states and the nominations might be in transition and maybe the the superpower that america had maybe it's also in transition right and globally i think um i mean with globalism and immigration and uh, all the changes in the world in like the last 30 years everything is radically different and now economies like in the east are are superpower economies Right. So who knows what the you no know, 20 years who's going to be in control or in command. Some people are suggesting even like Leonard that I'm reading suggests that it's going to be corporations that are going to be in you know, kind of like the, the governmental control is going to come from corporations. And even some you know, sci fi movies that I watch portray that that sort of vision. Right. Like uh, um, Ready Player One and some some shows I watch on Netflix. It's like, okay, now the corporations and you kind of see that a little bit with like Amazon and Facebook. And I don't know if you noticed like Facebook about two years ago or so, like Mark Zuckerberg was actually with the in Congress and they were they, they had like this almost like a standoff, like you got to give us more control into your platform. And he's saying, hey, I'm the creator of my platform. I do whatever I want with it. And they're like, but we're the government and we need to have access for the benefit of like, you know, the population and stuff. So what is I mean, just in a fun way or whatever kind of way. What are some of your predictions for what's going to happen? <laughs> Let's say, in you know. 20, 30, 20, 40 with the church, with, you know, where just where things are going. Well, just uh, one thought came to my mind when you were talking about uh, the, the power of multinational corporations and uh, that happens there and the power of governments. The, 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 the story um, behind that that I think always needs to be told is that regardless of what power centers are in control, um, it is the marginalized of the world 
who are the ones who get the short stick all the time. Uh, uh, power always goes after the most vulnerable, even things like uh, climate change. Uh, uh, people of wealth and people of power will be able to protect themselves. The most vulnerable will not. Uh, and they're the voices that are left out of these uh, discussions. And this is what's so um, terrible in my mind about um, uh, kind of a, 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 a nationalism, particularly a Christian nationalism that for just, I use our country because that's the country I live in. When you get people thinking that God wakes up in the morning and checking who's sneaking into his favorite country <laughs> and uh, there, that that's a concern of, of his uh, and that he looks at the world in the same way that we look at it. And um, I think, uh, I, I think Christianity always has this uh it uh, it's never about power it's about power but never power over it's the power of the reality of the spirit of god among us and it's a power derived from love and being for the for the other looking ahead to the future for the church did you want to say something there i saw you uh i was coughing my covid out man <laughs> you had a cough button there way to go the um so uh, the uh with regards to the church um, I think, and again, there will always be some large churches, at least in the foreseeable future. But I think we'll, we'll see many more uh, celebration of a smaller church. In fact, some people are, are referring to networks of smaller churches. There's a guy named Brian Sanders who wrote an extraordinary book called um, Underground Church. And uh, he comes out of a network of churches out of uh, Tampa, Florida. Um, where there's hundreds of churches that are have 12 people in it, 18 people, 20 in it, who are all have elders there and who all are gathered around a mission. And they refer to as micro churches. And no, nobody on staff in these churches are paid, uh, or none of the leaders there are, are, are paid. Uh, I think we're going to have many, many more um, bivocational uh, pastors or even pastors who simply do not get paid at all in the church. We uh, have watched carefully and been trained by a church out of uh, Chicago area um, by a guy named David Fitch from Northern Seminary. And they have like, uh, I think five pastors on their, on their staff. And, um, but none of them are paid and none of them are allowed to work more than 15 hours a week uh, at, at, at the church. So if a church planter, uh, because that professional clergy thing, it just absolutely by nature creates a dependency, mm -hmm. uh, creates a, um, the pastors do the work deal. And so if a church planner guy who wants a, or a woman wants to plan a church comes to me and I say, well, go apprentice as a plumber for a year, <laughs> you know, get a, get a, learn how to become a plumber. Cause you can pull 70 grand a year. If you have, you know, any kind of energy to you, once you've been tra trained that way and then go plan a church. And if for some reason the church requires you to put more time and energy into it and draw some, you know, uh, some salary, that, that that's fine. But what you have is a church planner coming into an area and they want a full-time gig as a pastor. And so to do that, by the end of the second year, you have to have 200 people coming. And so right away you're asking all the wrong questions. How do I get people to come to this church? And you're asking questions of attraction uh, oriented around the, the Sunday morning service. I think one of the benefits potential benefits, and I hope we learned some of this, is uh, the, in the COVID-19 time. Uh, in, in American churches, North American churches, the central aspect of the church, the thing that everything gathers around, is the Sunday morning service and the building. Uh, trying to imagine what would the church look like if we didn't have those things. Well, we get to imagine it now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what are we actually imagining? And so you can, uh, Alan Hirsch has this wonderful illustration here where the, you think of the Sunday morning service and building uh, or the church as a chess game. And the Sunday morning service and the building is the queen. Uh, and the queen can do all this stuff and move in any direction. It's the most powerful piece on the board. Uh, but now we're playing without the queen. And if you want to be a very good chess player, you have to learn how to maximize all the other pieces on the board. Um, if all you do is depend yourself on the queen, well, then if the queen ever gets taken, you don't even know how to do chess anymore. And so what we're doing now is playing without the queen, and we should be figuring out what are the aspects of the church that we have atrophied in that makes a church strong 
Um, but instead, I fear that many, many Christian leaders are simply figuring, okay, our queen's been hurt, but how do we put a band-aid on it and try to save keep... the queen? <laughs> God save our precious queen. Yes. <laughs> yes, right. This is for our UK uh, brothers and sisters. It's right. <clears throat> Man, it's been so phenomenal to hear from you, to hear your thoughts on where the church has been, maybe for, for yourself in your own journey, you know, in the past 30-something years, where maybe it's heading, maybe where we hope it heads um, with the kingdom of God in mind, rather than um, you know, consumerism or attractional models in mind, right? But missional models in mind. And I think probably this COVID season is it's part of, you no, know, got like almost hitting the reset button and saying, okay, focus on what's important. And for some churches, it might happen, right? From some other churches, like you said, you know, we got to save the queen now and all the energies into that. But I think we're going to see some, maybe some new movements starting because of COVID-19 and it might be a beautiful thing. Maybe a resurgence of some kind of like missional oriented church here in America, right? Um, so thank you so much would you point people maybe if the i mean because your your book is fabulous um is there a way where people could find it still like is it on amazon or a bookstore yeah, you can or find it on amazon if you're interested in it um it's written uh i mean seriously i haven't read it since i wrote it so i forget a lot of stuff that's <laughs> i read it man and it's good <laughs> i'm glad that it has some good stuff in it the the um uh, yeah you can get it there Uh, if, if that's something, it's, it's mostly our story and some of the learnings out of it that I, I think were, were helpful. I think why it was interesting when it came out uh, and, and why it got the attention it did is, is because we were a large church that was on the rise. And while we were on the rise, uh, we uh, tried to change it. And, you know, about 1,500 people left the church at that point, and, and uh, partly because we were idiots and we did a terrible job <laughs> of the process. And uh, But part of it is, is we just changed the unspoken contract that we had with the people coming, and uh, they mm -hmm. didn't they didn't want that. And it, there was almost a, a little bit of a, a, a violence in the things uh, that we did, the, the, the change. Uh, some asked, why didn't we just quit? Well, you know, again, I was a founding pastor, the experience that we had that felt that we needed to change the church happened throughout the leadership at this this experience with God. And so we felt if we left to quit, you know, the church would, you know, kind of unravel at that point. And I also was overly optimistic that everyone would love that what we were we, we were doing. And so um, but it was a uh, you know learned a lot from it. It it, it took about eight to ten years. And the DNA of the church changed after that, but not without, not without it. So my, uh, more than my fair share of mistakes that I made in the process. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, I highly recommend it. For people that are listening, it's called The Renovation of the Church. What happens when a seeker church discovers spiritual formation? And on the cover, you have pomegranates. And you were explaining to me how is this related to the to the topic? It looks, uh, I mean, the, the book has, <laughs> a, um, the, the red and black has a little vampire diaries kind of. <laughs> it. And then the... The pomegranates gets the whole Song of Solomon. So it's like Song of Solomon meets Vampire Diaries. It's the, <laughs> the kind of, the, they did pomegranates because um, pomegranates were in, I guess. And I had, you know, we didn't have any say in that. So Okay, we're going to say that the church needed to become healthy and pomegranates are healthy way to. <laughs> yes, no. okay, that's good. That's All right. <laughs> we'll make it work. Man, really appreciate you. Thank you yeah. so much. Thanks for um, having me. It's been a treat. Years. Uh, it's been fun getting to know you and uh, blessings on this uh, podcast. It sounds great. Thank you, brother.
Well, my friends, there you have it. What an amazing conversation with Mr. Kent. I would love to hear from you. If you can relate to this point of view about the Disney formula or the consumeristic church and would like to give us your opinion, please visit our website, www.christianpodcast.com and leave me a message. Make sure while you're there, you can check out my two recent blogs, Why I Owe $10,000, that's true, and my crazy dream that made me think of the Avengers and how is Jesus related to Doctor Strange. That's a fun one. You guys got to check out. And well, before I leave, I want to remind you that hope is always the future. And why not to remind you also, if you would like to support this podcast, there are a few links with options on how you can contribute to this amazing last radio on earth on the website as well. Thanks for tuning in to this broadcast. Adios, amigos. Hasta la próxima. Thanks for listening to this episode of Christian Podcast. If you liked this episode, share it with friends and family. Make sure you subscribe and leave a positive review wherever you can. You can also visit christianpodcast.com to learn more about our show. Hasta la vista.